This podcast is brought to you by absolutely no one. The Bold and the Beautiful podcast with Dave Vella. Who the hell is Dave Vella? Well, it's the last episode for the year and beautiful people, I have a great conversation for you to wrap up 2020. Dr. Anna Rubenstein, he's the author of a magnificent book. It's titled The Making of Men. And if you're a parent with a son or even a grandparent with a grandson, it is definitely one that you should be reading. He is an expert on rites of passage and adolescent development with over 30 years experience as a medical doctor, counsellor and as a workshop facilitator. In fact, the seminars and the programs that he has developed or he's helped develop over the years have been attended to by over 100,000 people globally and they are all designed to support boys and girls to successfully make a safe and healthy transition into adulthood. I visited him at his home in the Byron Hinterland, out near Mullumbimby. Dropped in the middle of nature, you will hear the sounds of the wildlife in the background during our conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my beautiful guest today, Dr. Anna Rubenstein. I've read your book, The Making of Men. I've just finished the third time through because um, I'm making my own little man. I've got a, a little boy, he's just turned nine. And um, I suppose as a dad and as a, as a single dad, um, you know, I'm very focused on where he's going over the next few years and uh, it's coming up quick. It's so quick. And, and I'm very glad to hear that you're thinking about those things now because one of my biggest frustrations is the number of people who approach me telling me about their 13, 14, 15 year old who's off the rails. Mm. And I always say you can't start raising a teenager once they become a teenager. Yep. You, have to, you have to actually start as young as possible. Because mm. the things that you do now and what you set up in this, in this period, and the relationship you build with your son mm. is gonna have a huge impact on your ability to stay connected and support him during his teenage years. Yeah. And then, and then mums and dads get to that point where their kid has gone off the rails at 13, 14, 15, and they're complaining about it, going, I don't know what happened. And I sort of sometimes I have to wonder, like what you said, what did you do leading up or what didn't you do leading up yeah. that could have facilitated maybe a little bit of a, a better time? Yeah, and my area of interest is actually rites of passage, what you do when they are 13, 14, 15, how you create that transition mm. from boy to man or girl to woman. However, I've realised, having done it for 25 years, that we can't ignore all the parenting that happens up until that point. So mm. I've actually had to become a parenting something or other. I hate it when they call me a parenting expert. I don't, don't <laughs> What about relate guru? As, guru? You don't no, like no, even worse. I don't relate <laughs> to being a parenting expert. However, I have no doubt that sensible parenting Mm. in the early years makes such a difference. And, you know, we actually have written e-books and instructions for parents on what it means to sensibly parent because parents don't know. No one gives you a manual. And it's like, well, maybe we actually need to start thinking about 
parenting education, yeah, just simple things like um, finding something one-on-one that you and your child enjoy doing and do it regularly. Mm. Now, there are a billion things you could do. It could be listen to music, kick a soccer ball, walk the dog, have a chat before you go to sleep at night. But whatever it is, having that thing that you both enjoy, turning off your mobile phone and just spending time and, and starting from day one mm. and right through until, you know, they're any age, having that space where you just connect and talk and share is invaluable. And it's extraordinary how many parents don't do that. Mm. And yeah. then things like, you know, discipline. When our children do muck up, which they're all going to do, they're actually supposed to do it, and we did it, and it's part of how they learn. Yeah, we definitely did it. Of course we did. Yeah. But instead of shaming the child and telling them, oh, you're no good, you're useless, you're an idiot, you're always mucking up, it's actually about separating the person from the behaviour. doesn't make the behaviour okay, but we're not withdrawing our love from our children. Mm. We're able to say, look, I love you, I still love you, however... You know, what you did, you know, hitting your sister or stealing something or lying, that's, that's actually not okay. Mm. Need to talk about it, need to work out what we're going to do about it and need to see what we can learn from it. I've been, I've been doing that with my boy, that exact thing, and I make sure that I tell him, but you're in trouble and I'm upset or I'm disappointed that this has happened, but this isn't going to ruin the rest of my day. This is your punishment for that. I said, but I still love you. So have your time to be a little bit sad, cry, whatever you need to do, and I'm ready to go out whenever you are. I'm not going to hold it against you for the rest of the day. So when you're feeling good, let's go out and do that. He goes, okay. And then after 15, 20 minutes, he'll be like, Dad, I'm ready to go now. Okay, let's go. Boom. Yeah. And we go and do our thing. Yeah. And it's dropped. It's never, you know, it's never brought up. It, it's, we've spoken about it. We've dealt with it. It's done. Yep. It's exactly, you know, and so a number of things like that that are actually really simple and my experience is when we tell parents this stuff, they are, oh, great, mm. thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's amazing. You know, even things like practicing acknowledging what they do well, and and you know, part of that is recognizing their gifts and their genius and their spirit without rather, without blowing too much smoke up their butts. Yeah, no, no, it's not about blowing smoke up their butts, but rather than just focusing on what they don't do well, mm. which can be a parenting, especially I find a lot of men are more likely to tell their children what they're doing wrong and how they can improve and Mm. all of those things. But they also need to feel, it's not about blowing smoke up their butt, it's about them knowing that they are seen for who they are. Mm. Um, Because kids want to be seen, don't they? They, Absolutely. They they, they, they 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 need to be seen. Mm. And I say if they're not being seen for doing, you know, good things, they will misbehave in order to be seen mm. because they need that attention. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think of, though, we, we seem to be in a society where we're rewarding participation, you know, where everyone's getting ribbons now. You go, on a, you go on a race and instead of having first, second and third now, everyone gets a ribbon. And there's sort of no real... Back in, back in the day when I did sport as a kid, you either won or you lost. That was the way it was. And you learn if you lost, you lost. And you learn how to deal with that. Um, and you learn how to be gracious as a winner. These days, we seem to be living in this politically correct world where kids have to be, I don't want to use the word recognised because we're talking about that in a different way, but we're, we're praising kids just for doing it and being there. Yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that? 
Well, look, my initial thought is that that actually does concern me because the long-term effect I see of that is the lack of resilience. Mm. So when we give our children every opportunity and they never fail and, and um, everything is sort of, you know, they're completely safe, in many ways that's a beautiful way to grow up. But part of actually growing up and part of our responsibility to our children is that when they leave us, we need them to have basic skills or they call them 21st century life skills. Mm. And one of the most important is resilience. And the way, and resilience is the ability to bounce back from failure or adversity. And if we don't actually have failure or adversity in their lives, then they cannot learn resilience. Mm. So yes, part of it is you go in a race and if you didn't win, either there was someone faster than you or you didn't train hard enough, mm. or it's just not your thing. There, mm. there are many lessons we can learn out of whatever position we come in the race, but if you just get a participation medal, then, and you know you're gonna get it anyway, it not only takes away the motivation to try, but- uh, It takes know, away it the a, effort involved to, all of to those get there, things. yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a um, it's sort of a crazy thing that I've seen happen with kids, and I'm um, obviously, as I said, having a nine year old and, and being a first time dad and a single dad, you know, I'm I'm treading in uncharted waters for myself, and I'm yeah. learning as we go. Um, but even if we just stop there for a moment, how interesting what you've just said. You're learning as you go, and you know, my impression is that you're an aware, keen, you know, loving father, but. There are many fathers who are overwhelmed by the busyness of their lives and their work and the complexities and mm. everything like that. And, and what a shame that so many fathers have to learn all over again mm. rather than having an opportunity to sit with older fathers and not be told what to do, but hear the stories of the older men. Mm. And when I worked as a doctor and I spoke to older men, I found themes in their stories. You know, they all talked about, I actually wish I'd spent more time at home mm. and I wish I'd spent less time at work and I wish I'd spent less time chasing money and... Women. Um, <laughs> chasing whatever, <laughs> just chasing, chasing. Yeah. And, um, you know, if younger guys like us, or like you, I'm not a younger guy anymore, but can hear these stories, then you can actually, in real time, make a decision whether you're going to take on extra work or or decide to spend more time with your kid. Yeah. And you make that as an educated decision around your different needs, but at least you're able to consciously make it. My worry is that so many men know how to be fathers once they're finished being a father, mm, and yes. we have all that valuable knowledge that could be passed on. And, uh, and you know, important part of our work, you know, I talk about parenting, another very important part of the work is finding ways for younger generations to be listening to the stories of older generations and thus have an opportunity to make probably more informed decisions. Storytelling is obviously a, a very important part of the whole rites of passage stuff that I've uh, read in your book. Um, it's, a, it's an important part of um, Indigenous culture. It's an important part of healthy community. But, we, but our modern society doesn't tend to do it that much, do they? Well, look, well, we don't when I was it. a kid, when I was a kid, <laughs> uh, we used to go away on holidays yep. and we'd sit in the back of the car and mum and dad would tell us stories. 
how they grew up, about their parents, about their relatives, about, you know, times they got in trouble, when things went wrong, when aunties or uncles had accidents or got killed or, mm. you know, many, many things. And we would sit there for hours and listen to these stories and then would ask them to tell us the same story that they told us because we want to hear it again, mm. all of that. Now, I see the kids in the car. They're sitting in the back of the car with a, a, an iPad or a phone and, they got, yep. and they've got, yep. you know, headphones on. And instead of hearing the stories of their parents, they are being fed a story yep. that is internet-based yep. and actually not necessarily for their well-being, mm. but more with an intention eventually of selling them something. But does that come back to parenting again and putting, putting restrictions and time limits on things like social media and, and technology and things like that? Because obviously kids... It's, it's too easy to go into that shell and be entertained by something that is right there that you love rather than listen to a story from your mum and dad. If you had the choice of listening to a story from mum and dad or watching a dude that's talking about the latest um, Grand Theft Auto you know, video, and you know, you're going to go for something like that, aren't you? Yeah, but the same, if you had a choice to have uh, you know, jelly beans for lunch or you know, salad and, exactly. and, and organic meat... You're going to choose jelly beans. Jelly beans. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but if you're a kid. Yeah. But the thing is, kids, that's why kids have parents. Yeah. So that we can support them through their early years so that by the time they leave our care, they have, you know, critical skills to be able to live a healthy, functional, positive life. But this is the problem, Arnie. You've got times when, as you said, you've got parents that are so busy and their lives are so busy and they might be in the car for a little trip away somewhere and it's an hour's drive and dad's just thinking, shit, I've been at work all week or mum's been at work all week. Okay, we've got this hour's drive. Oh, we can just like, I can just tune out to everything and let the kid be in the back and I can just sit there and drive and that's my time. Yeah, yeah. look, but valid, valid. Yeah. However, coming back to what you said earlier, is it a problem of the parents? It's actually a problem of community mm. and, our, and, our, and our lack of emphasis on the importance of community. Absolutely. And, you know, we're not gonna get rid of social media we're not going to get rid of computers. We're not going to stop parents, you know, working hard and being tired and all of that stuff. However, that doesn't mean we just need to let it run amok and, and decide our lives. Mm. For me, it's once again about starting early and putting boundaries on things. And we might go, okay, you know, one day a week or two hours a day or at dinner or in the car when we're going somewhere, we, we have some some technology-free zones mm. because what we do know is that computers for children are a drug technology mm. is a drug yep. and they will if we let them do it 24 7 a lot of them yeah. not always, but nine-year-old boy with grand theft auto which he's not supposed to have until he's 18 mm. but he will have bought on his parents credit card like they all do and <laughs> you know part of grand theft auto is you bash people and you steal their cars and then you can go to strip clubs and gambling casinos never to get Grand more money. I, I watch know. my teenage stepson play it. They go to titty clubs. Is that what they do? They go into the club. These women come up, take them into a room, cost you money. They take you into a room. They take their tops off, wave their titties in the kids' faces, mm. you know, whatever, come out. And then the kids can also gamble on horses and win money. I mean, these things are Are they racking up lines evil. of cocaine on the table not, as well? Well, not in Grand Theft Auto. There'll be other ones they do. <laughs> but, you know, they are evil things. Yeah. And once again, if we're going to raise teenagers, we have to start when our kids are three or four years old, mm. when they're first introduced to technology, and we have to put boundaries on it. 
and they have to know that computers and technology are a privilege, not an entitlement. I think too, and just sort of going back to what we're saying about parenting and, and, and putting time aside, I think for me, I believe that one of the biggest things is parents recognising what their biggest job is. For me, my biggest job is to raise my boy. Above all other things in my life, I've realised since having, a, and I never realised this until I had a kid, and I probably didn't realise it until he was about four, um, which is actually when I got divorced and I became a single dad. So I realised that my most important job is to raise my boy. Yeah. And so I have, I know I still got to earn money and I've still got to have friends and I've still got to keep myself fit and do all these things, but they now take a back seat to everything I do for my boy. And I honestly believe until parents get that mindset with their own children, how important raising their children is, they'll never, they'll, if they're always putting something else in front of their kids, yeah. they'll, they'll never have yeah. that, that kid. Which is once again a community thing. Yeah. And if those parents are hearing stories of grandparents and elders, preferably not their own parents and elders, because we much harder to listen to your own direct lineage yeah. than to listen to others, that makes a huge difference when you hear their stories. But also even for parents to know that it's not only important for your children that you raise them and, and that that's a, bit, a significant part of your life. It's important for you mm. because the people who don't do that, it actually, there's a price they pay later on. Mm. Um, you know, my parents at the end of their lives, well, actually my mother passed away in June and my father, who's 90 and living on his own at home, he's in the final stanza of his life. Mm. And, I, and I'm really seeing from both of my parents the impact of how they parented us as children, how that's playing out in the last years of their lives and in the, in the many last, you know, even in the last decades of their lives. It's almost like it flips around and what you do now in your nine-year-old, with your nine-year-old boy will be reflected back to you. That reminds me of that song by Harry Chapin. Remember Cats in the Cradle? Yeah. Yeah, you remember that song? I do know that Cats Ma in the Cradle and Silver Spoon. Yeah, in the last chorus he goes, um, my son has grown up just like me. You know what I mean? Because his boy, when he was little, always wanted to be like him. Yeah. And his dad never had time for him. And then as his boy goes to college, he's asking to hang out with his boy and his, his boy's going, Dad, sorry, I don't have time. Yeah. And then the guy goes, I've just realised my boy's grown up yep. just like me. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So when you look back on your parents, yeah. are you... Are you happy with the way they raised you? I mean, you turned out an amazing man. You're doing some amazing things for the community. But do you, are you happy with the way they raised you? Yeah, well, let's get a couple of things straight here, first of all. I, I, I may or may not be an amazing man, but there's not a question that I'm flawed. Of course. <laughs> so well, yeah, I, well, I don't want any, any, <laughs> you know, anybody to be of the false idea that I've got all, it all worked out and everything well, like that. Well, our, our, our mutual friend, Laurie Rose, who I chatted to on the way up here, yeah. and I told him I was coming to see you, he goes, say good day to him for me. He goes, mark my words. He goes, I'm telling you right now, that man is going to be one day Australian of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well. There you go. There you go. Um, and in terms of my parents, um, it's almost like I, I, I had two poles of parenting. Um, I had a mother who was you know, very loving and, and present and organised and, 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 and I had a father who was very distracted and working hard and um, authoritarian. Oh, wow, okay. But my mother came from a, 
very strong community, grew up in Western Australia in Perth, and it was all about family. And my father came from a completely fractured family of immigrants, and he, had, he would say to me he had no parenting. He, no one told him anything. Mm. He said he just doesn't even know how he got through his teenage years. He said he was asleep. Mm. And so then that plays out in their parenting, where my mother's all about family and keeping the family together and love, and my father was all about going out to work and, you know, that was, you know, his way of showing love that he went mm. out and worked and provided for us, but we really didn't have a connection. So, you know, I never had a father who I could have uh, important conversations with as a teenager. Mm. In fact, I never really had conversations with him growing up. He would be telling me what to do and how to live my life. Yeah. So I kind of stopped talking to him from about 14 yep. and just told him, what I needed to, but to this day, he continues to want to tell me how to live my life. <laughs> However, and, I, and that, that continues to frustrate me to the same degree as it did when I was 14. However, when he tells me his stories about when he was growing up and things he did, I can listen for hours. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I think I learned as much from my parents about how I want to be as how I don't want to be. Yeah, oh, absolutely, makes absolutely. It makes and total they're all, sense. And they're all <laughs> legitimate lessons both ways. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same with, with my parents. I've learned a lot about what I don't want to be. Yeah. Um, but I have, you know, if I truly and honestly take a good look at it, I've learned some great things from them as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I'm the same. My, my mum had me very young. She was 17 when she had me. Um, my father left when I was a year and a half got a stepfather um, and then he was never really, he was always working and doing his thing and he doesn't show affection or anything like that. Um, and he's still the same to this day, exactly the same. Will only ring me every now and then if he wants to tell me something, not if he wants to hear something from me. Um, I think they've only seen my boy maybe half a dozen times in the nine years and they only live an hour away. So it's, um, but I've realised that's who they are. I can't yeah. change them. Yeah. And all I can do is know or try to do a better way of raising my boy. Yeah. And they miss out by not having that connection. Yeah. With, you know, the whole thing around grandparents and elders. I mean, there's a saying that grandparents and grandchildren have a common bond. Mm. Uh, they, you know, they have a very strong bond uh, because they have a common enemy. Mm. <laughs> nice. And, yeah. and the whole elders thing. And, and because we don't respect elders, and in fact there's a lot of shame in being elders, mm. the young miss out on the incredible opportunity and the things that the elders have to offer them. Mm. In fact, it's the elders who are supposed to be bringing up the young, and that gives the ones in the middle, the parents, the opportunity to go out and build their empires and live their lives, mm. and it actually works very well for everyone. The, the young get the knowledge and the love they need, the parents get freed up and can go and do what they need, and the elders have a role and they get to put all of their love into the young. It's a beautiful dynamic. But, but we, when that breaks down and we don't have it and the elders are no longer respected, they leave. They're in their four-wheel drives and their RVs travelling around Australia yep. or playing golf. They've checked out. Yep. Or they're in old people's homes. But we're also finding that families are are splitting up and moving to different parts of the country. You'll, yep. have, you'll have the kids leave home and no longer are the families raising being raised in generations in the one area. 
Like, you know, you, you live in northern Queensland and to get a better job opportunity, you'll go down to Melbourne and you'll go to uni, then you'll stay down there for yeah. a job and suddenly no longer you're at home and you're going to have kids and you're Correct. raising them there and you might only Correct. see the grandparents once a year. Correct. It gets a little bit interesting here also. This is where technology, which we call the evil drug, also provides solutions mm. in that we can now FaceTime and Zoom yep. anybody anywhere in the world in real time, yep. see them and talk to them. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's another level where grandparents and grandchildren can maintain connections yep. and parents and children. Yep. Um, but look, there's a lot of uh, things I reckon that we've created that are working against us and, you know, break down a community, break down a family, lock, lack of rites of passage. You know, we are... Um, we have an adolescent society. We have adults who are behaving like bad teenagers. Mm. You know, ba baby men. Baby men. Mm. You know, I wrote a whole model on this between boy behaviour and healthy man behaviour. That's right. I remember that in the book. And you talked about guys that ended up becoming men, but they're still operating out of boy behaviour. Right. So a boy is, I'm the centre of the universe mm. and I need constant acknowledgement and I just want power. I don't take responsibility for my actions. I can never be wrong. Uh, and I want a mother. Mm. And, and we have, you know, whenever I speak and I ask the women in the audience if they've ever met, met a man who still thinks he's the centre of the universe and just wants acknowledgement and power and doesn't take responsibility for his actions, can never be wrong and he's looking for a mother, mm. you know, I get all these women going, oh, my God, I married that man. Mm. You know, and, and we need, we, you know, I believe we actually live in a world that's run by boys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a disaster. Mm. You know, we need good men who understand they're part of a community. Yeah. And who, you know, understand that power is for the good of everyone, not just for me to accumulate, and men who can acknowledge when they're wrong. Do, do we not get those type of, why do we not get those type of men going into politics? Like, look, Donald Trump's a, an example of your, your baby man or your, your boy behaviour, I suppose, as a man. And um, we get a lot of those type of people going into politics and running businesses and things like that. Why are they attracted to these positions of power and not sensible, mature men with men behaviour? Well, it's, and, and the other thing you'll notice about these men you're describing is that they very, very often have father issues. Mm. And it's like they're trying to prove something. Mm. And, and at, at the highest levels of power, whether it's in politics or business, it's often a dog-eat, it's a very masculine dog-eat-dog world. Mm. And they will climb over each other and they will do things that are not okay mm. to get there. And, and in many ways, the good ones either get chewed up and spat out or get so disillusioned, like good men go into politics to do good work mm. and then go, oh, no, this is just the wrong place to be. And, and in a way, it sort of filters out the people who don't actually care about politics. They're just trying to get to the top of the pile. Mm. And it's a very bad scenario. I think like a lot of, like, like myself, I have... I don't want to say I've got father issues, but I've had father issues, you know, having been, um, my dad left at a year and a half, having my stepfather that's, uh, you know, not really a dad, I was abused for six years by a close father figure. So, but I've also gone through a lot of rehabilitation, if you like, and 
self-imposed rehabilitation through my martial arts. Um, I started reading when I was about 25 to you know, things like The Alchemist and all these types of books to really get a better understanding of myself. And I'd go through, I remember the first 10 or 15 years of that, I'd have a conceptual understanding of what I needed to do, but I still acted like a knob. And yeah. I still acted like a baby monster. And I was like, man, why, why can I understand this, but I can't actually put it into practice. And um, I, I, I wouldn't say there's been one particular- I can tell you the answer to that, by the way. Okay, go. Well, a couple of questions. First yeah. of all, what would you have been like if you hadn't been done your rehabilitation and your reading and your exploring? Oh man, I, well, my psychologist, when I was going through all that stuff with my psychologist, he was actually quite surprised. He goes, I'm surprised you're not a drug addict and doing this and on the streets and in, you know, jail, and in jail with all the shit that's happened to you. There you go. And, well, there, and by the way, there's a lot of those men who are on the streets and on drugs and in jail, and I've worked with them, and mm. you look behind the scenes and you go, oh, my God, that's what happened to you growing up as a teenager. I understand now mm. why you're here. I don't agree with what you've done, but I understand. T totally, I get it too. Yeah. I understand it as well. But yeah. I think it takes, um, it takes a certain amount of resilience. It takes a certain amount of, um, I mean, so many times I've felt like I was getting on top of it, then you just fall down again and you act like a complete moron again and you do some stupid things. And this has been a constant throughout my life and I'm sure many of these men that have had the same sort of stuff happen to them. But you've just got to keep on pushing. You've got to keep yeah. realising there's something better out there that you can do and something better you can be. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one. And in terms of why you can understand it but not necessarily change it, is I believe that we all have, I use the term an operating system, like a computer. Mm. We all have an operating system that drives everything we do. Mm. So a computer's operating system drives what you see, how it functions, its search engines, everything like that. So we all have an operating system. And that operating system gets coded into us while we're growing up. And some of the things that are coded into our operating system just should never have been put in there. Mm. Like you get abused, that goes into your coding. You know, your stepfather leaves, or your stepfather's not a father, or your father leaves when you're a year and a half. That shouldn't be in your operating system. Mm. But it's in there and it is running your actions. Mm. So, and, and abuse, unfortunately, is one of the strongest coders. And then those things are finished and they were 10, 20 years ago, but they're still in your operating system. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> and so your, your reaction to men will be a certain mm. way. Your reaction to authority will be a certain way. Your reaction to relationships will be a certain way. Mm. And you go, oh my God, I can understand it, but I'm still doing it. Because it's bloody hardwired into your operating system. Mm. So periodically, we actually need to send our operating system, you know, we need to go offline, open it up, have a serious look at it, and get some shit out of there, and, and say, what, 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 what is my true spirit operating system? Not what some bloody person did when I was a kid or someone at school told me who didn't have my best interests at heart or mm. all of those things you need to actually clean it up and bring it into line with who you are and do you believe that the rites of passage that you have been performing for so long with with people all around the world do you believe that is um, a way to do that or one Absolutely. of one of the ways that to is do exactly it? what happens because this this thing that I'm calling where you open up your operating system and look at it and review it and change it. You can't do that under normal conditions day mm. to day when you're doing everything else. And, and when it actually is open and you're able to look at it, that is a particular condition called liminal space. 
So you have to create liminal space to be able to see your operating system. Mm. And, and there are ways that you can do that and a rite of passage is a way of doing it. But in order, basically to do it, you need to remove yourself from day-to-day life and Which is what you call the separation. The separation. Yep. You go into a form of container and then there are different ways that you can do it. Um, in groups, sharing your own vulnerable stories is a way of creating liminal space. You can do it by going on holidays. You know, people go away and all of a sudden they have time and space to look at their lives and mm. what they're doing. They have all sorts of insights and go, this is what I want to be doing. This is, you know, da, da, da. The trick is that you've also got to integrate when you come back, which is another part of the discussion. And maintain it too, isn't it? Yeah, and there are ways you can do that. Mm. But suffice to say, for this conversation, it is possible to create the conditions where your operating system gets opened again and you can review it. Now, you do need to be careful that when you operate it, you don't get more shit put in there, Mm. which is what a cult leader would do. Cult leaders take people into a space, open up their operating system. Takes out that shit and puts his own shit in. Create liminal space and go... When yep. you leave here, you'll go to your bank account, take out all your money, put it in my account, then you're going to go to the bridge over the river and you're going to jump in. Yep. And you know what? People will do it. Yep. There's, there are many, many examples of cult leaders doing exactly those sorts of things. So we need to be creating safe, healthy spaces for people to go through what we call liminal space. And, and there are actually two things that, they sh- that you would do. One is you move from one stage of your life to the next. So it might be a boy becoming a man. You've got to change your operating system. The operating system of a healthy man is completely different from the operating system mm. of a healthy boy. Yep. Or you might be you know, going out into the workforce, or you might be becoming a parent, or a grandparent, or an elder. All of those are life stages. And to move from one life stage to the next, you also need to evolve your you have to upgrade your operating yeah, system yeah, yeah. and at the same time it's a brilliant opportunity to review it and go oh hang on i'm like becoming an elder or a grandparent look at this thing that got put in there when i was 14 years of age which says i need constant attention you know actually i don't need constant attention anymore i'm gonna get rid of that and i'm instead going to start putting attention onto the young ones yeah you know, all sorts of things that you can do when you have that opportunity to actually be reviewing your operating system. My parents said to uh, my sister, no, we've done our turn. It's all your turn now. I was like, no, you've got the wrong attitude. (laughs) Well, actually, the way I look at it is it's a staircase. We're all on a staircase of life. And each step is a new stage of life. And it's not an individual movement up the staircase. So when your child, when your boy, your nine-year-old boy, moves from being a boy to being a young man, you're also going to have to take a step up the staircase because mm. if you stay the same as you are now and treat him the same, he'll be a young man. You're still treating him like a nine-year-old. The chances are you'll push him back down into nine-year-old behaviour mm. or he'll, start, he'll be a 14, 15-year-old who's incredibly frustrated and, and agitated and very possibly angry with you and he will leave, your, he will leave relationship with you mm. because it, it is just not right for him anymore. Yeah. So you need to take a step into, well, what are you when you're not having to actively father and protect and even control the environment of your son when you need to let him go out into the world? And that means you're moving more towards elderhood mm. and you're also letting go of certain things. Mm. And, and as adults, when our children grow up, 
we let go of a part of our own youth and our own parenting and our own vitality mm. as we move towards a new stage of our lives. And the problem is, you know, if we talk about society, we don't respect and honour the elders, we actually shame them. So everybody's trying to stay down the bottom of the staircase mm. and pretend they're still young mm. and do all sorts of things to look young. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually, yeah. when you step back and have a look, you go, oh my gosh, this is actually mad. We're shaming ourselves into getting old. No, everyone's going, oh, I don't want to be old. I, I want to I want to stay- Forever young. Yeah, I want to stay I forever be young. forever young. They write songs about yeah. it that become the top, you know, top songs of the century. Mm. But- you know, it's so interesting when you look at Indigenous and even Asian societies, who gets the most respect? Mm, the the elders. elders. Yeah. And how did they work out? Why did they decide that, you know, in multiple communities? Because they don't the have world, the internet or advertising. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's part of it, the internet and advertising. And it's that focus on community. It's about creating the balance between community and individualism, mm. which is an interesting one. Because it used to be all about community and then we had the revolution in the 60s and, oh, it's about me and my, my self-care and my needs and who am I? And, you know, we've, in, we've moved much more to an individualistic society. Mm. But if you look at one of the key intentions or, or reasons for a rite of passage, it is to recognise the genius, the gifts, and the spirit of the individual, because that spirit and those gifts are in fact what the individual has to offer the community. Like a gift is only a gift if you give it away. Mm. So you, you will have gifts, but they're actually only gifts if you give them away. Yeah, true. Otherwise they're like possessions. That. Yeah. And when we support people to find what they're truly passionate about, that's when they shine. Mm. That's when they do well. So there's an interesting thing that if you support someone to shine and bring out their gifts, not only will they do well, but they'll actually give their gifts to the community. Mm. So the individual benefits and the community benefits. It's like a passing on, isn't it? It's yeah. a passing but, the but gift it, on. But it, it, it actually serves both yeah. the individual and the community. When it becomes about power, money, all of those things, we drop the community aspect mm. and people are just thinking about themselves. Yep. Then we get a breakdown in community, we get individualisation and all sorts of issues from you, there. You spoke about this liminal, liminal space, is that what yeah. you said? So yeah. getting to that, into that liminal space. There's, it's, there seems to be, as I, over the last couple of years, I've started to sort of recognise there's a lot more talk around about getting into that space by way of psychedelics. Yeah. It seems to be coming yeah. back in popularity. Yeah. It was popular back in the 60s, yep. into the 70s, yep. and now it's had this resurgence of people getting onto the mushrooms, the uh, LSD again, yep. uh, the ayahuasca has become very popular, and now I've noticed even um, a horse tranquilizer called ketamine is now yep. one of the latest things to be meditating and getting into that liminal space. Okay, so if we agree that Life is a series of transformations. We mm. move from being a child to a, uh, you know, a young adult to a grown-up to an elder and you know, lots of other stages. And so each of those systems, each of those sorry, transformations and stages require that we have a different way of seeing the world and a change in our beliefs and our values. So the beliefs and values of a parent are completely different from the beliefs and values of someone who's single yep. and all of these things. And so... 
And, and what I'm saying is that we need to go into liminal space to open up our operating system so that we can change our beliefs and values appropriately to move to the next stage. Now, now that I would say is a fundamental need of people because if we don't do that, we stay as children even when we're adults, mm. which is obviously inappropriate. So therefore, I'm saying there's a fundamental need for liminal space, but it's not being provided in healthy, facilitated, safe ways. So because it's a fundamental need, people will go out and look for it. Yep. And because it's not being provided, they find it in any way they can, including unhealthy ways, and then it's called liminoid space. Mm. So when And so how do we find liminoid space? All sorts of drugs, alcohol, extreme sports, uh, unhealthy relationships, all of those things are attempts to open our psyches, our minds, yep. and, and shift. But liminoid space has a cost, has a price, has yep. health issues. What's starting to emerge now is people are going, okay, well, I know I need to shift my way of thinking. I know I, there's another stage. I'm looking for ways to get there. And what are potential healthy ways, given that rites of passage in their formal thing don't seem to exist in many places? And what they've discovered is that when it's done well and facilitated and at the right time, things like psychedelics can actually open your mind. Mm. Now, there's no question that they can open your mind. The question is how to make sure that that mind-opening experience is a healthy one mm. rather than a damaging, wounding mm. one. And there are more and more people around the world now facilitating those uh, experiences. And there's a, uh, an organisation in Australia called Mind Medicine Australia who uh, I'm actually on their advisory board, okay. as it happens, and uh, they are using doing a lot of research into the use of uh, psilocybin for uh, depression and anxiety and um, MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. And um, Yeah, I've heard a lot about that sort of um, study. Yeah, a and it's clearly been shown that when used properly, the, the, uh, the psychedelics absolutely do open your mind and can support you to move from one stage to the next. But it depends on your facilitator. It depends on your environment. It depends on your course, intention. Context, depends on so many all of things. those things. Yeah. However, it can be done. And look, there are definitely traditional communities who used psychedelics mm. in their rites of passage. Mm. But I'll tell you what, they didn't use them on 15 and 16-year-olds no. every Saturday night just to go to a party. No. <laughs> you know, it would be 40-year-olds yeah. who are, you know, moving into another stage of their lives and it was a more spiritual growth and a psychological emotional mm. growth so yes there's a there are different ways and all sorts of uh you know we can create healthy liminal space we first of all need to understand it and even why and what we're doing which is what a lot of my work is about now mm. you know my main area of work is in training people to understand why we'd want to do rites of passage what are the stages of a rite of passage? What are the elements within the stages? And what are we looking for to achieve, including liminal space and how we facilitate that in a safe way? Well, that's, I mean, obviously that's, there's so much of that in your book, Making of Men. And while I was waiting for you, you left a couple of books out for me on, um, on your table, which was called Betwixt and Between. Yeah. I started reading that. That was super interesting yeah, as well. Yeah, so Betwixt and Between, they're talking about in a rite of passage, the the 
the passage is that you're in a passageway between one stage mm. and the next. So you're no longer, you know, you're no longer a child, but you're not yet an adult. You're sort of you're, in that no man's land. You're no longer a parent, land. but you haven't had your baby. Yeah. You know, and, and that in-between space, where, which is where the transformation occurs, mm. and when you actually go into liminal space, is betwixt and between. Yeah. I'm not there, yeah. but I'm not there. And you it, are and in I, between. And I suppose part of it would be from the person who's in that space is not getting frustrated and annoyed at being in that space. It's more about understanding that you're in that space, that you're in a state of flux or a state of transition, and that you are heading from this into that. Yeah, that or must be... not, by the way. They say you actually need to surrender. Okay, yeah. Submit even yeah. to being in that space. Because a lot of the transformations that happen in our lives, you know, they can be facilitated or they just happen. So my parents, my mother passed away, my father is, you know, in his last stage. That's a massive rite of passage for me. Mm. It's a massive transformational stage in my life. Mm. I'm moving from being a child, you know, being a, having parents and being in that to, to an elder, much more of a you know, different space. But I'm not there yet. I am betwixt and between. My mm. mother's passed away. My but father hasn't there, yet yeah. passed away. But I just have to submit to it. But you've moved further up the stairs. Yeah, I've moved further up the stairs, but I'm still on, I'm still on that bit between yeah, stairs, yeah. actually. And as I say, I just have to surrender. And what I've tried to do, you know, I went and spent a month with my mother before I passed away, and I've basically moved in with my father these last few months, spending time with him. And I'm up here for a week, and I'm going back down on Friday to Melbourne, and I'm just surrendering to being in the whole dying process mm. and the... And the rebirth that comes from it, but I, re I I recognize I can't do that from up here in my home. I have to actually really go and be there. Be there. Yeah. Well, I know that as you said, you've 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 had a pretty sort of intense couple of months, and you've been pretty busy, and you've taken a bit of time out to um, have a chat. So I want to say thank you very much. Um, and if people can want to find out more about the rites of passage, they great. Can yep, we have a website, the Rites of Passage Institute. Yep. Dot org rights spelt R I T S. So we'll, uh, I think, we put a link at the end yep, of the podcast. We'll definitely put a link. So I'll put a link in the episode notes. Institute. We're running all sorts of programs for boys and girls with parents anywhere from seven to 17 years old. Uh, and our leadership training, we do a, a three day residential for people who want to learn about rites of passage and how to be able to start looking at creating their own or in their own families or work and facilitating them. And we and as it, because of COVID, we've created a whole heap of online courses oh, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, to support people, and they can do the um, uh, right uh, journey into rites of passage um, leadership process. Or we have mother son courses. We have courses on how to turn a birthday into a beautiful rite of passage, how to turn a holiday into a rite of passage. All sorts of different things that we're putting up there. Great. And if and if anyone hasn't read making the making of men. I've read it three times, as I said, and if you've got a kid, you've got one on the way, you've got a grandparent, whatever it may be, grab it and read it because it's phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, people know that this is for girls absolutely as much as it is for boys. Mm. And I haven't said this on a podcast before, but I am writing another book, which is about rites of passage for people of all genders and all ages and really understanding Unreal. the implications and how we can be bringing them back into the mainstream again. Unreal. Dr. Arna, thank you very much, sir. Absolute pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing.
This has been another episode of the Bold and the Beautiful podcast. Davella has left the building.